But a traveler was able to retrieve this. So perhaps it is not poisoned. If I visit the planet and I can bring you proof that I have bathed in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore, then by creed, the decree of exile will be lifted and I would be redeemed. This is the way. Once again, Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar, welcome to the 194th Marvelous Mandalorian returning episode of MandoVision, Our guy Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. We are so glad you're here. This is a momentous day. We are here to discuss the return of the Mandalorian season three. It's been two years, but like more importantly, you know, we're sort of getting back uh, into into like this podcast's mission statement to talk about the Mandalorian and all things Mandalore, and and so it's really nice that the show is back to provide us with the information, uh, with the stories that we wanted to discuss in in great depth and and, and uh, you know hopefully provide some sort of illumination as we sort of reconnect with the world of Mandalore and and see you know get more answers right we want to know more about the Purge and I have a thousand tears we want to know. All these things, and this is the season where I think a lot of the elements that have been teased over the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, uh, we will get to see and, 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 and learn answers to, to many of our questions about what happened to the people of Mandalore after the Clone Wars ended and the Empire took took over. So, a really special day in, in that sense for the podcast, because again, we are we are connecting with the, our inspiration, our our. The reason why this show exists is back, and I cannot wait to talk to you guys about this show throughout the course of the season, and obviously today to kick things off. So I'm really, really pumped up and fired up. But not only that, The Bad Batch Season 2 is still rolling along, and the episode that came out today (laughs) uh, is one that we have openly discussed you're wanting to see for a long, long time. I think we even hinted at it. We, 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 to- we suggested, we, we put out there, and we weren't the only people to do this. I think a lot of people kind of picked up on, on, the, on the subtle cues 
that the season one finale dropped for us. But this is the episode that delivered one of those long, dangling plot threads from Star Wars The Clone Wars and, and gave us some more, not, not like a conclusion, but now we know more. And now we, we know that it's still in play, like elements from the Star Wars The Clone Wars are still in play in Star Wars The Bad Batch. And so we'll be talking about that, uh, uh, hopefully in some, some form of in-depth conversation as well. Um, but we have a lot to get to, so I want to get to the particulars. We're going to kick things off with the Season 3 premiere of The Mandalorian, uh, and then we will transition to Star Wars The Bad Batch. Um, and, and, you know, kind of a lot to talk about. So let's go ahead and talk about... Let's, let's get the particulars out of the way, all right? This is... The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 1, Chapter 17, The Apostate. Original air date today, March 1st, 2023. Can you believe it's been two years since we got The Mandalorian in his own show proper? Not uh, not co- uh, not hijacking two episodes of The Book of Boba Fett. But hey, no, don't worry about that part of it. It's fine. This episode is written by, once again, John Favreau. Directed by Rick Famuyiwa, who is now on board as an executive producer of the series. So I think we'll get to see the great direction that, that Rick bring has been bringing to the show for two years. More uh, on display this, this season, which will be delightful. Our principal cast, of course, Pedro Pascal is the Mandalorian. Along with Latif Crowder and Brendan Wayne, who are now getting billing on the show. That's awesome. Good for them. So the three of them make up the Mandalorian. Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan. Emily Swallow as the armorer. Carl Weathers as Grief Karga. Nozo Inozi is uh, Gorian Shard, which is an interesting character we'll talk about later. Uh, Parvish Ashina is the Navarro copper droid. Erica Duke is Ben and the Grand. Uh, we got Vizlas in this show. We get Max Fraser as Pirate the... Co- uh, I, there's just too many. I'm just reading everybody. All right. Let, and, and, and let's just say it right now, because if the... Recap of the first two seasons of The Mandalorian wasn't going to give it away. Um, they give it away anyways. Taika Waititi will be returning as IG-11 in the show. Holy smokes. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> All right, so uh, our, our, our plot. Let's get to the plot. The Mandalorian begins an important journey. He sure does. All right, so that's all out there. That's the groundwork. Uh, those are the, the creatives involved in the show. Um Let's go ahead and do what we have to do now. You know what time it is. Uh, it is time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. We are an official trade spur of the Hydean Way. Congratulations. We've got a construction boom going on in the city. The belters are mining the asteroid fields at the edge of the system. There's a lot of money to be made on Navarro. I can see. I can set you up with a prime tract right over by the hot springs. You and the little one, you can settle down, you can hang up your blaster, live off the fat of the land. Grogu. Come again? His name is Grogu. If you say so. Come, I want to show you something. (laughs) So, (laughs) a great reaction to hearing Grogu's name out loud, right? I think a lot of us had the same reaction the first time we heard Grogu. Um... Uh, so uh, Carl Weathers back as Grief Cargo. How delightful is that? Uh, the Mandalorian returns to Navarro, a very different Navarro than when we last saw it. Uh, things are changing. He talks about the construction boom. All these good things. Uh, it, it, this is a jam-packed episode with a lot of like reconnecting with our central characters and the ones we, we sort of got to know the best over the first two seasons of the show. Uh, and But it's a different show now than what it was in the past. I think we can all 
see that now. You know, it's it's less about uh, the Mandalorian, you know, bounty hunting his way across the galaxy. Uh, that seems to not necessarily be his jam anymore. Um, and you know, again, I don't want to say that necessarily. I could be wrong. Three episodes from now, that he'd be out there bounty hunting, trying to make some money. Um, I do, I do want to bring back up some some earlier comments I made. I think this is back during the Book of Boba Fett when uh, when when Din was first getting his uh, N one Starfighter constructed there with with Pelly on Tatooine. Not a practical ship for bounty hunting because <laughs> you're not bringing him in uh, alive. That's for sure. Because where where are you gonna put him? There's nowhere to put him. There's not a lot of storage on the N one Starfighter. <laughs> um, and this is this episode again. We're kicking off season three of the show, and I think this show takes a really interesting approach to the way it's it's telling the story because I think it makes I think I think I don't want to say it resets, but it presents the events of Book of Boba Fett in a, in a new way. Like if you didn't watch that show, like if you're just here for the Mandalorian and for Grogu, uh, and you didn't watch Book of Boba Fett, this episode sort of brings you. It sort of brings you back up to speed uh, without you having to make to make the time to go and watch those shows, which I, which is an interesting approach. Uh, what's also interesting too is like the the feel that we get for the uh, the passage of time in this episode. It feels like a lot of time has passed uh, since various events have happened, not just uh, uh, the last time we saw Din and Grogu at the in the Book of Boba Fett, but from season two to now. You know, there's there's been a, a huge passage of time. Uh, Favreau and Filoni have made some comments that sort of intimate that it's been, you know, Grogu and, and Din had been separated for, you know, possibly years. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me personally, but that sort of seems to be what they're intimating. Uh, and we definitely feel the passage of time in this episode as we reconnect, especially once we get to Navarro and, and Grief uh, as he sort of fills us in on what happened with Cara Dune and what happened with Moff Gideon. Uh, you know, you get the real sense of a passage of time. Plus the development on Navarro alone sort of seems to indicate that things are, are progressing uh, at, at a, a, a fairly increased yet steady rate of growth. Um, but that's not where the episode starts. Uh, we go back to the episode, the, in the opening of the episode, which is the armor forging a small helmet for a new initiate of the Children of the Watch. We go back into the cult. We go back and see their traditions, their 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 way of of inducting, indoctrinating new members. Uh, and again, another element to see the passage of time here is that, um, you know, since their ousting from Navarro back in season one. The numbers of the Children of the Watch have been reduced. Uh, we hear that more in more detail in the two episodes that the Whisperer and, and Pax Vizsla are on in the Book of Boba Fett. Um, but now, we, as we catch up with them, possibly on Concordia, I have not been able to confirm that that is in fact Concordia. But we see that their numbers seem to be back on the rise again. We, there, there's more Mandalorians than we would have suspected, than we had been led to believe the last time we were catching up with the Warmerer uh, when they were on that space station and Din, Din admitted to removing his helmet and becoming the apostate. Uh, and again, if the, 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 I, everyone who listens to this podcast, I know watched Book of Boba Fett, so I don't feel like I need to go back and restate what happened in those two episodes. So you know what happened. If you want to see the actual incidents, go back and find them in the Book of Boba Fett. They are there for your viewing pleasure. But we're going to pretend that we're all up to speed here, and we've all been watching it because 
I know everyone who listens to this podcast, and I know that you are all super plugged in. <laughs> so we are out in Concordia, and a very hostile, massively large creature decides to interrupt the initiate ceremony, uh, and the Mandalorians get to spring into action, except they are, they are m- mercilessly outclassed by this creature. Uh, and uh, despite... You know, the numbers that the Mandalorians have on, on, uh, on display, their grenades, their weapons, their blasters, flamethrowers, nothing's making a dent in, the, in this massive creature. Uh, and it's, it's a really fun scene in, 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 in the sense of, like, it's Star Wars, and they do Star Wars uh, beasts better than anybody. So seeing that kind of happens is awesome. Though I do wonder, the, the Mandalorians who decide that the best course of action against this massively large creature is to fire their grappling hooks into the side of its of its torso. That wasn't going to work out well. <laughs> and and I question your strategies, fellas. What were you thinking? What was the plan on that one? Like I'm going to I'm going to get my hooks into this massive massive creature and I'm just going to muscle it. I'm going to outmuscle it <laughs> into submission. No, sir. You did not. You you messed up. You dropped the ball, and you, you possibly got smushed in the process. A couple mandos get turned into into the, into the fish food here, um, but we get to see you know Mandalorians in action, which is never a bad thing. But they, again, they are, are hopelessly outmatched in this in this battle. Uh, they do not retreat because I guess I'm assuming that would have not been smart, or not actually that would have been really smart. It would not have been <laughs> the way of the watch though. Uh, which is <laughs> no no retreat, no surrender kind of scenario, it's, it appeared to be. Uh, and it was not until Din Djarin buzzes in on his N1 Starfighter that they're able to subdue the creature. And it's at this point that Din approaches the armorer, and again, in sort of another recapping way, uh, sets the stage for, for what this season will be about, or at least these first bunch of episodes will be about. And it's Din Djarin's attempt to uh, reconnect, re, uh, in, reintegrate himself into the, his Mandalorian faction, which, which raised him as a foundling. Uh, he's so desperate to get back to that. You know, he's been reunited with Grogu. He's spending time with other Mandalorians, and he's, he sort of understands that his faction is, is different than other Mandalorians, but this is all he knows, and he's, I think he's looking for attachment, for a sense of family, for that, for that connection. And so this is what he knows. So instead of forging a family on his own, which is probably what he'll ultimately get to, um, he's going back to this one, these extremists uh, who don't remove their helmets, who don't, uh, who have a very severe and strict creed they adhere to, uh, and he is desperate for their forgiveness. So we reconfirm information that was told to us in the Book of Boba Fett for people who didn't see the Book of Boba Fett. He must go on a sacred mission, a crusade, a quest to... Uh, the the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore, and bathe in them to be forgiven, so that he can once again be a, a, a member of this faction of his faction of you know people who true, the true believers who believe this is the way of all Mandalorians. This is this is what they had gotten away from. This is what Mandalore is at its core. These are the true, true hardcore believers here, and and Din will undertake this this quest, this pilgrimage to absolve his sins and return to the fold here with the Children of the Watch. So we set that up. And the armorer sort of, sort of reluctantly, warily agrees that, yes, you would be forgiven. Um, but she doesn't seem super stoked on it. Like, the 
so much of their of their belief system, I think now, is predicated on the idea, the notion that Mandalore is gone. It is unlivable. It is a destroyed planet. Uh, so it's it's going to be really interesting when we get to go to the planet, which I believe will be in the next episode. Uh, so I'm very very excited about that. Uh, so now Din has his quest to undertake. And again, he's not been hunting across the galaxy, so we just get to ride around in the cool N1 Starfighter because it's fast, maneuverable, gets to do all kinds of cool stuff. All right, so we're going to go to Navarro. Now, we, this is when we reconnect with Grief. We get caught up with other characters from the show who are no longer with us, Cara Dune in particular. But we also get a reference to Moff Gideon. We pay homage to IG-11, who sacrificed himself for, in essence, for Navarro. Uh, when he blew himself up and the stormtroopers, Moff Gideon stormtroopers on the planet. And he has, he's got a statue. Part of it is his actual remains. Part of it is the art, artist's rendition of him. Uh, and, and again, we, a lot happens in the scene. There's a lot of information coming out. But by and large, Mando has returned to Navarro because he wants IG-11's remains. He wants to try and reactivate IG-11. He wants a droid he can trust to go with him to Mandalore. And there's only one droid that Din Djarin trusts, and it is IG-11. Unfortunately, uh, when he first tries to reactivate IG-11, his initial bounty hunting program comes online, and he instantly tries to kill Grogu. And we get a very cool, I thought, uh, horror-esque sequence of the the severed upper torso of IG-11 crawling across the floor, trying to reach Grogu, trying to kill him, (laughs) Uh, before ultimately a massive... uh, uh, um, bronze-like bust of Grief Karga smashes its head in and, and stops it. Uh, this leads us to Grief convincing Din that he's not the one for this job, but a lot of the best minds of the droid industry <laughs> have been flocking to Navarro, and we get to go meet some Anzellians. Uh, and, and Babu, like Babu Frick from Rise of Skywalker, one of the, one of the only bright spots in, <laughs> in the Rise of Skywalker, in my humble opinion. Uh, uh, the Anzellians, who are these masterful droid technicians. We've been spending some time with them in, in some High Republic books, uh, and, and I think even some of the other more centrally, time-wise, books have Anzellans in them now as well. They've kind of become like a very popular uh, species to spend some time with. And so the, the, they're small, they're tiny, they're diminutive. Din packs himself very tightly into their compact droid workshop, uh, and they they say they can't bring back IG-11. They need a part. So Din's going to have to go get this part as well, apparently. And, uh, you know, I assume he's going to get the part because I assume IG-11 is central to what he's going to be wanting to do on Mandalore. Uh, the, the humorous moment of this part is, again, we saw Grogu spinning in the chair. We've seen the clip. Uh, now we get to see him try to, like, hug an Anzellan, which was uh, amusing. <laughs> and we also find out a little glimpse into Grief Karga's past. You know, we, we knew the Grief sort of was rough around the edges and maybe he had some stuff in his past. Well, apparently he has a history with pirates because pirates are trying to, you know, spend some time on Navarro, even though Grief is like, this. We're, you know, we're keeping our nose clean here. This place is not safe for pirates. This is not a pirate haven. It will never be a pirate haven. But this seems to be Grief's past coming back to get him now that he is... Uh, doing well for himself and seems to have some credits in his pocket. So we get to square, we get to square off against some pirates. I don't think it'll be the last time we see these pirates. It's certainly not the last time we see these pirates in this episode because as Din is leaving the planet, we get to meet the pirates head on. And 
get into a little bit of a fun space battle in an asteroid field. Uh, grief referred to belters, which, by the way, made me think of the Expanse. So that was kind of fun, too. <laughs> a lot going on in the sequence, but it's a great space battle. We get to see we get to see some some pirates. You know, we other than outside of like Hondo Anaka and his gang from the Clone Wars, we haven't met too many pirates in Star Wars. So it's fun to see a new one, uh, and 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 it being a species that I'm not super familiar with uh, was also very very exciting. Yeah, the pirates is is uh, uh, <laughs> I already forgot that Gorian Shard is the name of the pirate gang uh, that we cross paths with. And that Din is able to escape using uh, the the hyper boosters uh, that he has on the N one space fighter, starfighter, excuse me, uh, to get away. I need to pause for a second because we, we got to go back to something that I was I was really excited to see in the episode towards the beginning uh, when before the, on the journey to Navarro when they're in hyperspace and Grogu is in the well right he's in his little uh, child seat well looking out, using the bubble to peer through hyperspace, and we begin to see these shadows. We begin to see these shapes. And if you are plugged in to Star Wars, if you've watched all the animated stuff, you know what we see. We see Pergil. This is the first time we're seeing Pergil in, quote-unquote, a live-action show. Um, but they're just sort of portrayed, like, again, you just sort of see the outline, the shadows. And if you do not know what the Pergil are, they are essentially space whales. They travel through space. They travel through hyperspace. The last time we saw Pergil, uh, again, if you're plugged in, you know. But this is a reminder for anyone who doesn't. The last time we saw Pergil was in the series finale of Star Wars Rebels when they arrived at the Battle of Lothal, summoned by Ezra Bridger, and they take Ezra and Grand Admiral Thrawn to God knows where. And that's why Thrawn isn't around for the Rebellion. That's why Ezra Bridger isn't around to be part of the Rebellion, to meet Luke Skywalker, to get trained by Luke Skywalker, or, any, or to train with Luke Skywalker even. Uh, the Pergil are significantly important to those characters, to the show, and to what I assume we will get more answers to when the Ahsoka series begins, which presumably will be about tracking down Ezra Bridger and Grand Admiral Thrawn, because... There's still a lot of unfinished business on that end of things. But the Pergil are a, a, a massive homage to, to, to things that are coming and things that have come in the past. Again, they played a massive role in, in the Battle of Lothal against the Empire. So that was very, very cool to see. And I think a bit of a teaser for the Ashoka show and things to come. So I really loved that moment. I thought that was really a nice little touch to kind of just give us a, like, a little nod that, hey, Pergil, people see them. They do happen. They do occur in space. <laughs> it's it is a thing. So from Navarro, we take off and we go to Kalavala, another planet we are told that is in the Mandalore system. We get to go to a Mandalorian castle. That's exciting, right? Uh, except it's like super sad and super depressing inside. There's like a lone droid outside on the landing pad, and no one in the halls, no one in this castle, at least none that we can see, as Din Djarin makes his way to the main chamber, to the uh, throne room of the castle, for a meeting with the one, the only, Bo-Katan Kreese. Uh, and it's uh, Bo? Well, let's just call her Bitter Bo, because <laughs> someone is not happy. Uh, and it has a lot to do with Din Djarin being back in their presence. Let's, let's take a listen to this conversation here. Thank you. 
Bo-Katan. It is Din Djarin. I am here to join you. There's nothing left to join. What of your plans to retake Mandalore? When I returned without the Darksaber, my forces melted away. Where is the stolen fleet? Making their way through the galaxy as mercenaries. Do you still have the Saber? I do. Then you lead them. Wave that thing around, and they'll do whatever you say. So you gave up your designs to retake Mandalore? Your cult gave up on Mandalore long before the Purge. Where were you then? Okay, we'll pause there because, again, I'd like to... I'm really looking forward. One of the things I'm really, really, really excited uh, about doing when we get to restart our rewatch of, of Star Wars The Clone Wars. Because remember, we're right in the middle of Season 5. We're right at the beginning of the big Mandalore arc, right? With with uh, the Shadow Collective, the Death Watch. All the, all the things are about to start happening on Star Wars The Clone Wars. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to examining Bo-Katan and her motivations for doing the things that she does. Because uh, Bo is this insanely complex character. A lot of different things have occurred uh, since, since Star Wars The Clone Wars, since Star Wars Rebels, to where we are now in the timeline for Bo-Katan Kryze. I'm really looking forward to getting into all of this on this character because, again, Bo-Katan, <laughs> complicated. But she is bitter Bo right now, and she blames Din Djarin for a lot of this, and she, uh, all of this, and I think it's going to put these two characters in um, um, friction. Uh, no, I don't want to use the word friction, but they they will not be getting along well. They they will be uh, in conflict with each other. All right, maybe not open conflict, maybe maybe a little bit more like passive hostilities towards each other, much like this conversation is going. But Bo Katan shaped her own destiny in a lot of ways. And at one point, held the Darksaber. And maybe he doesn't want to be held by her any longer. That's all I'm going to say about that for now. Again, we, Din has to sort of, we've talked about this before, Din will ultimately have to accept a larger role uh, in taking the shape of Mandalore forward. But he's not there yet. He has to go on that journey. He has to go on that hero's quest to get to that point. And I think this season will begin, will be the start of that. But... A lot, of, a lot, of, in a lot of ways, Bo-Katan represents the Mandalore of the past, and Din will represent Mandalore of the future. What will that future look like? What will the Mandalorian people look like? Will it be more like the Watch? Will it be more strict adherences to the Creed that he knows, or will he sort of be the one who brings all the factions together and and unites them in a way that we haven't seen before? That's one of the things that I'm wondering about for this season. But let's hear a little bit more from Bitter Bo on the. <laughs> On, on the state of things, from her opinion. The children of the Watch and all the factions that came before fractured and shattered our people. Go home. There's nothing left. I am going to Mandalore so that I may bathe in the living waters and be forgiven for my transgressions. You are a fool. 
There's nothing magic about the mines of Mandalore. They supplied Beskar ore to our ancestors, and the rest is superstition. That planet has been ravaged, plundered, and poisoned. You said that the curse was a lie. Make up your mind. If you want to go to the mines, be my guest. They're beneath the Civic Center in the city of Sundari. Thank you. And I will find out if the planet is really poisoned. Goodbye, Din Djarin. And that's basically the end of the, other, in the, the end of the episode. But I want to go back to this, this, this notion. I feel like this is the first time we're talking about Mandalore being poisoned. Um, and I could be mistaken about that, but it, it, it made me think once again, because I'm an old man, it made me think of the old Star Wars Expanded Universe and how the Empire created a bioweapon uh, that, that, that they deployed on Mandalore so that anyone with the FET genome could not ever set foot back on Mandalore again. And so in a way, it was off limits to um, any surviving clones, obviously Boba Fett himself, and Boba Fett's offspring. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it made me think of that. I guess, like again, I, I just love connecting old dots like that sometimes. And again, there's probably no connections to actually be made, but it just kind of connected a dot in my brain, <laughs> which there's a lot of dots in there. That is a fact. But... That is setting the stage for conflict with Bo-Katan moving forward. Uh, she's now lost her supporters. Any, any, any plans she had of retaking Mandalore, of getting the planet back, she seems to have dispelled, and now she is, is you know, peddling the, the, the stories, right? That it's, it's ravaged, plundered, and poisoned, like she said. Like, there's no, there's no planet to go back to. There's nothing to reclaim. Uh, Mandalore is now, uh, it's an idea, it's 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 a culture. It's not a. It's no longer a place. There's nothing to retake. But we're going there next. I, I suspect we're going there next week, <laughs> and I can't wait to see what we see, what we find with Din. Uh, and and there have been uh, Disney sort of released like these first two episodes to the press ahead of time. I am not the press, so I have not seen the second episode. Uh, but there have been some intonations, teases from people who have seen it that. Episode two represents like a, like a dramatic shift in this in the storytelling methods of the of the creative team behind the show. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what that means, or if that's uh, smoke being blown in our general di direction. Um, but this is a great episode to to kick things off again. You know, it's a lot of bringing us up to speed, catching us up again, and then redirecting Din Djarin moving forward again. Like I. I you know, we talked about the N one seven as not a practical ship for bounty hunters. I don't think he is a bounty hunter anymore. He's got a very different mission now moving forward, um, and I think the ship is reflective of that. You know, the Razor's Crest was great for when he was hunting, but that's not his jam anymore. I don't think that's going to be his bag anymore. We'll find out. We'll see. But yeah, uh, a great episode. This is eight and a half buckets for me, pretty easily. Even though it's not a lot of super forward momentum on anything, there's great action sequences with the opening on Concordia, the space battle, uh, reconnecting with our central supporting characters, and and again, redirecting Din Djarin where he needs to be for this season, putting him on the path for his mission, for his quest, for his crusade. Uh, I really, really like this episode a lot. And... Um, yeah, it's 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 bucket time, baby. That's that's <laughs> I can't wait for the next eight weeks. It's gonna be so much 
freaking fun, and I can't wait to talk to you all about it even more. All right, uh, I think at this point we're going to take a, a, a I'm going to put a little little bumper in here, and we're going to talk about season two, episode eleven of Star Wars: The Bad Batch, Metamorphosis, aka the Return of the Zillow Beast. Get ready. Written by Sabir Prezada, directed by Sal Ruiz, with uh, our our main uh, voice cast of the always great D. Bradley Baker, Michelle Ang as Omega. But we also get some returning people in this in this episode as well, which is really really exciting, uh, because again, it's it's hard to say that the Bad Batch is you know if it's doing like mythology episodes or not like that because it's it's not that's not really the show's jam, but we get to see voice actors return that we haven't seen in, in quite some time. And I'm, I'm mostly referring to Bob Bergen as Lama Sue. Gwendolyn Yeo as Nala Say. We also get Rhea Perlman back as Sid. And the introduction of Jimmy Simpson as Dr. Royce Hemlock, who seems to be a super creepy guy. And Jimmy Simpson does super creepy guys better than anyone. So I'm really, really excited about this episode. The plot of it is The Batch Finds a Mysterious Missing Vessel. That is a huge misnomer. I would not say that is a plot of this show at all. <laughs> but but let's go ahead. We'll play a clip from it, and we will get into Star Wars The Bad Batch, Season 2, Episode 11, original air date today, March 1st. It's been a busy Star Wars day. I'm having so much fun. Let's check it out. Why does someone so talented prefer to rot in a cell instead of using their gifts to better the galaxy? I am not especially motivated to continue my work after the Empire destroyed my civilization. What was done on Camino was unfortunate, but know that your research remains intact. It'll now serve a higher purpose. The Emperor's purpose. Don't you wish to be a part of such a scientific achievement? I know what Emperor Palpatine seeks to accomplish, and he will not have my cooperation. Perhaps you require the right incentive. What could they possibly be talking about? Oh yeah, Palpatine wants to live forever. That's what they're talking about. They're trying to figure out how to keep Palpatine alive forever. And the, the, the obviously the notion is that the cloning technology that the Kaminoans pioneered is part of the plan, uh, even though the Kaminoans are being cut out <laughs> of basically the galaxy at this point. <laughs> as as Nalase is is we, we our first time seeing Nalase since the season one finale of Star Wars: The Bad Batch, uh, and and we get to go back to Wayland, we go back to Mount Tantus, and we see this incredible scientific facility that the empire has at their disposal and uh you know we've hinted at at some of the things that we thought would be happening again the cloning program under the control of the empire now for the purposes of keeping palpatine alive if forever uh is is one of the principal things about it but this episode also gets us back to something from star wars the clone wars um the Zillow Beast and Palpatine's fascination with the Zillow Beast and its armored hull, thicker than any uh, alloy that they could, they could put on a starship, right? More uh, uh, stronger than any any material they had seen in the in the galaxy, right? So we knew Palpatine had designs in the Zillow Beast of exploiting this creature 
And now, for the first time since Star Wars The Clone Wars, we follow up on that. As we open the show with a derelict ship, uh, the inside looks like there's there's been attacks. There's there's uh, <laughs> evidence of, of an alien-like uh, an invader on the ship. Uh, the the opening sequence of this of this show, uh, I think, very much pays homage to Alien uh, and the Zilla Beast when he's smaller and looks a lot more like the Xenomorph uh, in his younger state, uh, which is very very interesting to me. Uh, the 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 drooling nature of the creature, uh, kind of in play here. Uh, again, we see a bunch of Imperial commandos on the run to open the episode before the ship crashes into the planet. Um, but we don't exactly see that it's the Zilla Beast until later in the episode when the Batch arrives. Because they get a tip from Sid. Sid, who seems to have sources everywhere in the galaxy, that there is a derelict ship uh, with probably a treasure on board. Because, hey, that <laughs> they're looking for scratch, right? They're looking for cash. And and Sid, as, as her way of apologizing for not helping them get off the last planet, which the Batch is pretty sore about, offers them 50% of the take. Well, there is no take because the ship has a creature on it, and this creature is going to cause a lot of problems for a lot of people down the road here. Uh, and, and the Batch actually sort of makes things worse, right? Like, the, when they first get to the ship on the, on the crashed planet, uh, the, 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 the Beast is contained at that point. The power's off, and it can't... The Zilla Beast feeds on power. That's what grows. It makes it stronger. And, and, and it's in a darkened state on a crashed derelict ship, with no power. Well, the first thing the Batch does is turn the power back on to the ship so they can access the records and see what the heck's going on in this thing. Um, and ultimately, they end up setting it free. <laughs> not, not on purpose, necessarily, but the, the, the creature gets out. And it's getting bigger because it's getting power. And it's, it's tracking its way across this planet to, to a power station where it gets bigger and draws more power. And all these people in this village nearby get to see it. Uh, meanwhile, Dr. Hemlock... He's also heading up this project too, uh, so they he, he dispatches Imperial forces to collect the creature and bring it back. Um, and it goes from it goes from goes from kind of like bad to worse, especially for these poor, these poor people in this village. Because by the end of the episode, they get rounded up uh, and taken away because they've seen the Zillow Beast and now they know too much. So God knows what will happen to them. Uh, it, by and large, the episode is very straightforward. There's, there's, you know, it's good action beats. the The opening sequence is is an alien esque homage, with, uh, with some jump scares. I mean, you know, not like serious jump scares. Like, don't like take it down a notch. It's a kids show, but you know, they're going for that 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 alien horror homage, but in a very kid friendly Star Wars fashion, right? Good tension, good designs on the on the young Zillow Beast. Uh, and as it powers up and gets stronger and stronger, it, it kind of just begins to look more and more like the Zilla Beast that we know from the Star Wars The Clone Wars cartoon. Um, and the Batch realizes that they're in over their heads, that they're this is some sort of Imperial project. Uh, and, and, you know, they kind of just get out of there. <laughs> like, there's not much for them to do once the Empire arrives on the scene. They kind of collect themselves and get the heck out of Dodge. But they have been spotted, they have been seen, and now... Hemlock is on is on to, on to them and wants to figure out what to do about them next because they now they've seen the Zilla Beast, so they are uh, people of interest. They don't know they, don't, they again they don't know it's the Batch. They don't know it's Clone Force ninety nine, but but this now has them on Hemlock's radar too. Uh, it was bad enough when it was Vice Admiral Rampart, but now Rampart's out of the picture, so we had to shift 
to a new central character to be our baddie for the batch. Uh, and that sort of may- maybe represents a difference in the in the structure of the storytelling moving forward as well, because a lot of the first season of the of the show dealt with the batch's military ramifications moving forward, the changes in the clone project, going to the um, uh, recruitment ar- recruited army, you know, the conscripted army, and now we're getting more into like, the scientific element of things. We're going back to those cloning elements, setting up stuff for Palpatine moving forward. And we're going to start to figure out maybe maybe a little bit more about Omega too because as Hemlock says in that clip that we played to open the show, or this segment of the show, uh, Nalase is not participating. She will not use her scientific mind to help Hemlock and the other Imperial scientists unlock cloning. No, no, no. Uh, she's shutting it down after the destruction of her civilization, as she says it. And Hemlock says, well, I think we got some more incentives that we can try here. Uh, so he brings in Lamasu, the only other survivor of Topaka City, right, who's been on a cell on Coruscant. And, uh, and Lamasu has information that he imparts to Hemlock about a young girl that Nalase is very partial to. He doesn't say it's Omega, but we know it's Omega. So now Omega is on Hemlock's radar as well. And that's going to put these two uh, two groups into inevitable conflict, the Empire and the Bad Batch, as now Hemlock is looking for a way to make Nala say, do what he needs her to do to unlock the cloning program to uh, provide immortality to Emperor Palpatine. Uh, it's, 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 in a lot of ways, this episode is like a table setter. For the next half of the season, the next bunch of episodes for the season, as we begin to like rocket our way to our season two finale, uh, but it also again it connects us. It provides us this really nice bridge back to Star Wars: The Clone Wars by beginning to answer like the, a lot of questions that fans had. You know, like what happened to the Zillow Beast? You know, we saw we knew that Palpatine had designs on it. He had big plans for the Zillow Beast. Uh, and once we got to the end of season one and the introduction of Wayland and Mount Tantus, uh, we I think a lot of Star Wars fans began to thought about the possibilities. Of, of of the Zillow Beast and, and other uh, expanded universe even elements like like again the Dark Trooper program maybe it came out of Mount Tantus you know that that base is so central to so many uh, potential ideas and theories for Star Wars fans moving forward because again you, you, Mount Tantus could be your answer for so many things like oh they're working on that at Mount Tantus like if there's an element of the old expanded universe you want to see brought back you can probably put Mount Tantus in the answer. And it, it's it's like this sort of wonderful gift box that maybe maybe all those fun things from the old EU will make their way through into the new canon through through Mount Tantus, the Mount Tantus programs. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, and uh, you know, obviously too, we still have the questions like, will Doctor Pershing be a part of this at some point? Do we begin to see him? Will we see a young Grogu at at a certain point? You know, we know that after Order sixty six, the Empire got their hands on him. At some point, and began doing work with uh, cloning and Grogu, and trying to figure out maybe if force powers were transferable via cloning. Uh, so there's there's a lot of things like this show could end up connecting back to the Mandalorian in some fun ways too, and it, that'll be a really fun connection to see if it were it were to happen. Um, I really enjoyed this episode of the Bad Batch. It's the best one in two weeks for sure. Uh, this gets eight buckets as well. Uh, and, and again, I was just delighted to see the Zillow Beast back. I love the alien homage to open the episode. Uh, seeing Imperial Commandos is always very, very cool. 
Dr. Hemlock seems like a total creepy bad guy moving forward. And again, sort of uh, reconnecting with, with the, the Kaminoans, with Lama Sue and Nala Se is fun too. And, and now the Empire is more aware of the importance of Omega to Nala Se moving forward. And that changes the dynamic quite a bit. Uh, so a great episode of The Bad Batch. Two episodes of Star Wars today that were just bonkers, lights out, awesome, fun stuff. I had a blast watching them last night right at the stroke of midnight. Actually, it was about 10 minutes early. They, I turned on Disney Plus at like 10 to, 10 to midnight, and there was The Mandalorian waiting for me. So that was exciting. Uh, good times there. Quick programming note before we get out of here today. Uh, next week's show will be late, unfortunately. I, I get back into town on a Wednesday. Uh, so I, the plan will be to hopefully get this episode, or the next episode out to you Thursday morning. Fingers crossed. All right? We're going to do our best to get it out to you ASAP. That is a fact, okay? Uh, maybe maybe super late Wednesday night, but basically Thursday morning. We'll see how it goes. All right, so I want to thank you all so much for taking the time to, to, to listen to this podcast. My name is Tom. This is the Men Division Podcast. Nargai Tom. Thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting all the small independent Star Wars podcasts out there like this one. Remember, the best way to find us is on social media. We're at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. Please email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share the show with all the Mandalorians in your covert. If possible, so inclined, five-star reviews. Any kind of review system that your, your podcasting platform offers, those are great ways to support the show, help spread the word, and make sure that the small independent shows like us do not get gobbled up by the massive uh, uh, consumer, not consumer, that's not the word I want, but the massive corporate-based you know, shows full of all the ads and all the, all the, all the money behind them. <laughs> they don't destroy us all. Remember, podcasting used to be like, you know, more people like me <laughs> sitting around in a bedroom with a computer and a microphone. Now it's all like, we got a studio. You fancy. I ain't that fancy. Anywho, maybe I'm just jealous. I don't know. Anyways, let's get out of here. We'll be back next week for more Star Wars talk. Again, probably just a day late, but we will be back for another episode of The Mandalorian, of The Bad Batch, and it's gonna be great. All right, remember, this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Bounty hunting is a complicated profession.